This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and again, we have a summertime Equip Podcast coming at you. And as a reminder, in the summertime, instead of our normal weekly um, editions of the Equip Podcast, we go bi-weekly. We'll return to weekly podcasts August the 3rd. Today's podcast is one where I simply want to take some time to thank God for the life and ministry of Tim Keller. I'm doing this shortly after uh, the death of Tim Keller. He died May the 19th of 2023. And as he passed away, I just had some time to reflect on the way that his life and ministry has impacted mine. Tim Keller was certainly the most influential modern theologian and pastor in my life. Uh, I studied his ministry from afar. I think I read almost anything that he has published, and I can't think of another voice in uh, pastoring, in theology, that has shaped the way I see God, the way I see the Bible, the way I see ministry more profoundly than Tim Keller. I was so impacted by his ministry, frankly, that in our uh, series in the month of May at Cornerstone on lessons from the heroes of the faith, I almost didn't teach on Jonathan Edwards, but instead did a biographical sermon on Tim Keller. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to pause on that. I'll come back to that um, in time. But on the podcast, I wanted to both thank God for Tim Keller, but also hopefully motivate you to take and read some of what he has written. I'm, in particular, just going to draw a highlight to four resources, books that Tim Keller has written or resources he's put out that have impacted my life personally the most, both as a Christian and as a pastor. And my simple hope from this podcast is it will motivate you to go buy a book of Tim Keller, to listen to one of his sermons, to look up a blog post that he's written. It is just an absolute goldmine of resource that God poured out in his church through the blessing of the life of Tim Keller. So I want you to take and read. So with that, no no further ado to that, I'm going to um, take on my top four resources from Tim Keller. And these are just a personal take. I'm not saying they're the best. I'm not saying if you judge this qualitatively, that's not my goal. I'm just telling you in my life and ministry, what has impacted me the most and why. And so if I started with one and only one work from Tim Keller that impacted my life, it was his book, The Prodigal God. And The Prodigal God, I'm just going to give you the subtitle of it. It says, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith. And in it, what he did was he unpacked the story of the prodigal son from the Gospel of Luke. And what he helped us to see is that most of the time, most of the time, we think of this story, the parable is telling the story of a prodigal son singular. But the book, really the premise of it is that if you look at the text carefully in Luke chapter 15, Luke is telling a story where Jesus actually tells us there is not a prodigal son, but lost sons, plural, okay? And the prodigal in the story, prodigal means reckless or just loose and spinning. He says, really the reckless one in the story is the father who showers his grace and love without merit on these two lost sons. And you might think if you've heard the prodigal story, it's a story of a son who goes to his father, says, give me my inheritance now, and then runs away to a far country, squanders his father's wealth, and then drags himself back home. 
You see, but Keller stops us right there. He says, that's not actually the way the story ends. In the Gospel of Luke, the story doesn't end with the son dragging himself back home and being welcomed to the father. The story ends with a moralistic, self-righteous older brother who refuses to go into the party welcoming his, his lost younger brother home. Keller makes the point, and I'm going to read a quote here, that you can avoid Jesus as Savior by keeping all the moral laws. If you do that, you have, quote-unquote, rights. You think God owes you answered prayers, a good life, and a ticket to heaven when you die. That means you don't need a Savior who pardons you by free grace. You are your own Savior. And that right there is precisely the problem of the older brother in the story of Luke 15. Keller, I'm going to give another quote, writes, Jesus does not divide the world into the moral good guys and the immoral bad guys. Instead, he shows us that everyone is dedicated to a project of self-salvation, to using God and others in order to get power or control for themselves. We are just going about it in different ways. Even though both sons are wrong, the father cares for them and invites them both back into his love and feast. This means that Jesus' message, the gospel, is completely different from spirituality. The gospel of Jesus is not religion or irreligion, morality or immorality, moralism or relativism, conservatism or liberalism, nor is it just something halfway between the spe- on a spectrum between two poles. The gospel is something different altogether. I love that. And here's a final quote from the the prodigal God. He writes, The elder brother is not losing the father's love in spite of his goodness, but because of it. It is not his sins that create the barrier between him and his father. It is the pride he has in his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing, but his righteousness that keeps him from sharing in the feast of the father. That book, The Prodigal God, I first read it well over a decade ago. And it was like my eyes came open to the gospel in a new way. I had a deeper understanding of sin, a deeper understanding of grace, a deeper understanding of the gospel. And for years, the one book I've handed to people to read of Tim Keller's, I wish I could have just cases of this around all the time, is The Prodigal God. Take it and read it and have your heart opened up to the gospel and your mind just blown. So profoundly helpful. Second book of Tim Keller's. This is the one I, I think actually, as much as I've given out the prodigal God, I've probably given out this book more times in my ministry, I believe, than any other book. And that book is The Reason for God Belief in an Age of Skepticism. Keller was a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, which is in the heart of New York City. And what he found as a pastor there was that all the time, in order for people to even consider the Christian faith, you first had to confront the objections they had to the Christian faith. And what Keller found is he he calls them seven defeater beliefs, okay? Or, Or beliefs that people who won't embrace the Christian faith hold as true that invalidate Christianity. That observation there was so helpful to me as a college pastor at Salt Company, as a pastor at Cornerstone. And what what Keller did, though, to defeat those beliefs was radical for me. Instead of just trying to prove to Christianity that right, that proved to people, rather, that Christianity was right, what Keller did was he slowed down and forced people to give a defense of their own belief of non-Christianity. So, for instance, Keller takes the leap of doubt you have to take to say there can't just be only one true religion. 
And in the chapter, what he does is he confronts that idea. He says, you do know that almost everybody in the world does think there's only one true religion, that your white Western modern moral sensitivities aren't the ruling power in the whole world. Who are you to judge all of that? And if there is a true God, why would he not be able to... So what he does is instead of just trying to prove Christianity, he pushes on the the doubts that people have and says, basically makes them say, are these really reasonable or not? And he challenges seven defeater beliefs. There can't just be one true religion. How could a good God allow suffering? Christianity is a moral straitjacket. The church is responsible for injustice. A loving God could never send people to hell. Science disproved Christianity, and you can't take the Bible literally. He basically walks you through each of those and brilliantly challenges the leap of doubt that unbelief takes. And then in the second part of the book, he walks you through reasons for faith, the clues for God, but ultimately he lands you at the core of the Christian faith is not just a set of reasons for God, it is the cross of Jesus Christ and the true story of the resurrection. The reason for God I think, Keller, what he helped me understand was that you cannot prove conclusively the Christian faith. We can't just argue people to Jesus. Like, if we win the logical argument, then therefore they become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. But what we can say is while we can't prove the Christian faith, we can certainly confront uh, unbelief and we can give reasonable evidence for the Christian faith. So if you're a person who has questions for God, or you know a person who is deeply intellectual and has problems and challenges for the Christian faith, get a copy of The Reason for God, read it yourself, and give it to the people you love with questions. It is amazing. Over and over and over again, I go back to that book. Third book that God used in my life by Tim Keller is one that maybe isn't as widely read among uh, lay people in the church, but for pastors, it's like the one ministry book that I think everybody has to read. It's a book called Center Church. And even now, it's actually been republished, reformatted into multiple books under the Loving the City acronym. But Center Church is really basically a manual on leadership in this generation in a city or in a university context. And Keller, in particular, in that book, what he did for me is showed me a way that you could be faithful to the gospel, like not lose an inch of the theological roots of the gospel, while also flourishing in the love you have for the city in which you live. Faithfulness to the gospel doesn't actually invalidate loving the city. And Keller gives a model for ministry that both confronts the culture and loves your neighbor. And he was so helpful to me and really a generation of church pastors and church planters. A lot of the church planting movement happening throughout the cities of North America in the university cities, the Salt Network, is shaped by the the seminal thought of Tim Keller on why church planting was so centrally important. And I'll give one as well here. This is like a bonus point. I'm not going to count it as a full resource, but in his ministry to pastors, helping us understand Christian ministry, Tim Keller wrote a little white paper, basically like a blog post or an article titled Leadership and Size Dynamics. It was so like full of rich gospel wisdom for a pastor that I think I have reread that paper every single year of my life as a pastor. It's called Leadership and Size Dynamics. You can look it up for free online. It's just brilliant. 
It's just absolutely incredible. And so I thank God not only for Tim Keller's ministry and writing books like The Prodigal God or The Reason for God that gives answers for the Christian faith, but also the ministry he had to pastors. His book, Center Church, is unbelievable. His books on preaching, they shaped the way I think about how you do ministry. And even uh, years ago, when I was a young pastor, I got a hold of a series of seminary lectures that he did at Reformed uh, Theological Seminary, and I just listened to everything he said or wrote about ministry, and it was just a goldmine of wisdom. I was so grateful. Here's the fourth resource from Tim Keller that I think you should take and read. It's uh, the Gospel Coalition. Now, you might say, hey, that's not a book. Well, Tim Keller and Don Carson, two influential pastors and theologians, actually the idea for the Gospel Coalition was birthed in their mind. They thought that the evangelical world, a world there was a nuance loss where those who were robustly theological, but yet deeply engaged in church planting and outward-facing mission, needed to have a fresh resource where they could find, you know, articles, books, where you could publish things, where you could hold conferences. And so, as it's commonly known in Christian circles just by the acronym, TGC, or the Gospel Coalition, was formed and birthed. Tim Keller and John Piper, or John Piper were original signees. Don Carson was there. And it, it's incredible the wealth of resources on their website, thegospelcoalition.org, it's a gold mine. So if you're looking for what would be a good answer to a current event or a challenge we have with social media, how do I help my Gen Z children? What do you do as a church when you confront abuse? How do you have difficult conversations? What's the case for the resurrection? Oh my goodness, the Gospel Coalition website is a gold mine. Time and time again, I say to people, well, have you searched on the Gospel Coalition and seen if they have any good resources on that? Almost any hot topic you'd have, any biblical topic you'd have, they're going to have some resources on that website. And that work by Keller, not just his own articles, but the vision to create that kind of movement of the Gospel Coalition, I have a sense may be the one that bears fruit for decades and decades beyond his death. I could go on and on here. I could mention his book on prayer. Oh my word, incredibly good. His books on suffering, the the meaning of marriage. The book on that's the most common book that I give out to people to talk about marriage as couples prepare for marriage or a, a couple wanting to grow their marriage. I just have to say again and again, thank you God for Tim Keller. Few people have shaped my life, my theology, my way of thinking about pastoring more deeply from afar. I would basically say it's really Tim Keller and John Piper, who as my are like, if people have a podcast pastor, those were mine. They're the guys that I listened to everything they said, everything they wrote and put out. Doesn't mean everything they said was perfect or right, but it has been a wealth of gospel-centered wisdom for me in my life to read the works of Tim Keller. In his final days, before his passing, his son, Michael Keller, shared some of Tim's last words. He, he wrote that as he had been out in and out of the hospital, ultimately entering into hospice in his final days, he'd said to Michael and to the family, I'm thankful for the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm so thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home, God. And on May the 19th of 2023, 
God took Timothy J. Keller home. His son writes, Dad waited until he was alone with Mom. She kissed him on the forehead, and he breathed his last breath. We take comfort in some of his last words. There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. See you all soon. Dad. Not long before his death, in an article that he wrote, reflecting on his recent diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, a diagnosis that he knew would be one that would kill him ultimately, Keller reflected on the work of poet George Herbert. George Herbert, he wrote, has a great line where he says, Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made death just a gardener. All death can do is plant you if you're a Christian, and you finally come up into the beautiful flower that you were meant to be. You're just a seed, and death just plants you, and then you finally become who you were meant to be in the presence of Christ. It led Keller to conclude uh, his thinking with this line, The only thing death can do for the Christian is make our life infinitely better. And so I praise God that the gospel which was formed in Tim Keller, that seed has been planted by death, and he is finally fully alive in the presence of Christ. Thank you, God, for the life and ministry of Tim Keller. And for all who listen to this podcast, my hope is maybe this summer, I think it'd be a great thing for you to take and read one of the books that Tim Keller has put out and just soak your soul in the good news of the gospel of grace. 